howdy Huda Thunkers. This is the host of the Huda Thunkin podcast, Zeb, coming at you with episode 151, titled Doc Ellis and the No-No. <laughs> you might not have any idea what I'm talking about now, but you will by the end of the episode. Before we get into Doc Ellis's story and the story of the No-No, uh, I'll do a little recommendation segment, as I've been known to do, where I recommend you check something out. This week, I recommend you go buy some cheap crap. <laughs> it sounds odd, but do it. Go to a thrift store, a dollar store, or if you're feeling bougie, go splurge at a five below. You'd be surprised what fun things you can find that cost you hardly anything. Dollar stores have some of the best quality playing cards I found out this weekend. Had some uh, friends and my father-in-law over for poker. He got me this nice um, card kit. It holds two decks of cards. It's, the kit's really cool, but it came included with two decks of cards that were cheap as hell. I mean, they ripped right away. He said, you know what? If you go to a dollar store... They have old casino cards that have been, you know, used. And so you can find cool stuff like that. Dollar stores have some of the best quality playing cards. And, you know, we got a back massager at Five Below. And it's so satisfying to work out those knots in your back or your arm or your feet or whatever. Plus, our cat loves it. So we got quite a lot of enjoyment out of just this cheap massager that we bought. So you never know what you're going to find. Have you ever gone shopping at a thrift store in a rich neighborhood? It's apparently one of my sister's favorite things to do. You know, we've, we once found a crystal uh, flower vase for like three bucks. So you can find some of the best flower vases, some of the really cool furniture. might need a little bit of loving, and it's, you know, great quality furniture. So go check it out. I know it's a weird thing um, as a recommendation to use it do books and stuff, but I thought that would be a fun one this week. Now for the main event. Doc Philip Ellis Jr. I'm just going to read off like the first paragraph of his Wikipedia page here. Doc Philip Ellis Jr. was born March 11, 1945 and died December 19, 2008. He was an American professional baseball player. Although his name would become more associated with the city of Pittsburgh later in his career, Doc was a born and raised Californian boy, um, born in L.A. He went to Gardenia High School, and right around the time of his freshman year, 14 years old, he started to experiment with drugs and alcohol. He joined the school basketball team and did well but refused to join the school baseball team after a player referred to him referred to him as this is a quote here spear chucker it's a racially racial slur not great so stuck up for that they called me that i'm not joining them however he would eventually play for gardenia high school or high baseball one day doc got caught drinking and smoking pot in the high school bathroom uh, seat during his senior year the school principal made a deal play baseball for the school or get expelled doc appeared in four high school baseball games that's it but was still named an all-league player that's how um, talented he showed just through four games not long after doc was diagnosed with sickle cell anemia at the age of 17 the diagnosis was later changed to sickle cell trait so not the easiest childhood um but you know he then later played for Major League Baseball as a right-handed pitcher from 1968 through 1979, most notably as a member of the Pittsburgh Pirate teams that won five National League Eastern Division, Eastern Division titles in six years between 1970 and 1975 and won the World Series in 1971. Ellis also played for the New York Yankees, Oakland Athletics, Texas Rangers, and New York Mets. In his MLB career, Ellis accumulated a 138 to 119, that's .537 record, 
I don't, I'm not that big into baseball, especially not their statistics. So I have no idea what those numbers mean that I just told you, but I figured if there's any baseball fans, you might be like, Oh, it's pretty cool. Get to know what kind of player he is, but I have no idea what they meant. Once again, he accumulated 138 to 119. That's 0.537 record, a 3.46 earned run average and 1,136 strikeouts. So if you know what those numbers mean and how relevant, I'm, I'm not get, I, I get an idea of what they mean, but I don't know if they're really good or really bad. Anyway, if you do know what they mean, good for you. He was flamboyant, passionate about the rights of his fellow African-American players and known for enjoying all sorts of recreational drugs. His fellow teammates knew he was high all the time. As he said later in interviews, he's like, I was high for every single game on something, whether it was alcohol or something. Sports Illustrated tells... Uh, tells tales of Doc's sports career better than I could. So I'm going to quote them here. As a player, Ellis was equal parts ferocious, flamboyant. And once in 1974 against the Reds, he made it his mission to plunk every Cincinnati batter in an attempt to intimidate the nascent big red machine. He got five hitters into it, nailing the first three, throwing over the heads of Tony Perez and Johnny Bench before he was pulled. I believe that means he intentionally was hitting them. So I... <laughs> Not the most honorable, but he might have had a good reason. Back to the quote. Another time, as a member of the Athletics in 1977, he took pitching charts he'd been ordered to fill out and burn them in the locker room, setting off the sprinklers. And he had to be expressly told by Commissioner Bowie Kuhn in 1973 not to wear hair curlers onto the field. Ellis was more than just a character, though. He was a key part of the 1971 World Series champion Pirates and the 1976 Yankees, who won the pennant and started the 1971 All-Star Game of the National League opposite Oakland's Vita Blue. The first time two pitchers of color had ever started the Midsummer Classic. In a video that I watched, Doc defiantly says, I get the hell out of here to people from his past. He was recounting people who, who had told him not to wear his curlers and he would just tell him like, screw off. I'm going to wear what I want. And I'm not a fan of the look myself. I think curlers in your hair kind of look tacky, regardless of your gender. I think they kind of look tacky. Something you should do in preparation to make them look good after. Uh, but I don't, I'm not a, an expert on the culture or, or the style of that. I'm not an expert on pretty much any kind of style, <laughs> but Curlers, to me, as my uneducated style and cultural uh, per perspective, I think they kind of look tacky. I would never say that to someone. I'd be like, wouldn't even draw attention to them. But I think they look tacky. However, there is something badass about a guy wearing a hairstyle that I'm pretty sure is typically associated with femininity and just not caring what anybody else thinks about it. The photos of Doc wearing his curlers and his hair look so damn cool to me, especially the ones where he is in uniform, because you know... He wasn't supposed to. And everyone around him was like, get that get out of your hair, man. Especially like what they say. It was the uh, commissioner told him, you got to take uh, commissioner Bowie Kuhn told him, take him out. And he was like, get the hell out of here. So I love it. I have mad respect for the man for this, you know, and that's um, just kind of who he was off the field or, you know, during his career, there have been 300 but let's, let's get to the specific story of the no-no. There have been 318 no-hitters as the time that I Googled it yesterday, March 13th. If, there, if, there's, if that number's wrong, sorry. A couple articles are written like a year or two ago, and they're off. But anyway, there have been 318 no-hitter baseball games recognized by the Major League Baseball Players Association. This story is about one of those games played on June 12th, 1970. The thing that sets Doc Ellis' first and only no-hitter apart from the other 317 
was that he was, as Doc puts it in his own words, high as a Georgia pine. <laughs> he was particularly high, uh, high that day. <laughs> and he thinks it might have contributed to his no-hitter. Who knows? On that day, June 12, 1970, the Pittsburgh Pirates baseball team faced off against the Padres in the old San Diego Stadium. Sports Illustrated wrote, Ellis took the mound, having dropped acid earlier that day, and blanketed the Friars, walking eight batters and hitting another, otherwise known as an A.J. Burnett special. It was the first and only no-hitter of Ellis's career, and almost certainly the lone MLB no-hitter pitched under the influence of LSD. If you know if you know otherwise, drop us a line. So even Sports Illustrated is like, Dude, no hitter is pretty impressive by itself. This dude was on LSD though. Um, as far as they know, nobody else did, but <laughs> that it could be the case that nobody's come forward. That day though, the game kicked off. He went to go visit. Uh, that day before the game kicked off, he went to go visit a lady friend in LA. While there, he took some acid and partied all night doing an assortment of drugs. I think it was two days before the game. Yeah, two days before the game, took a bunch of drugs and drank a bunch of alcohol. He partied so hard that he passed out in the wee hours of the morning, like super late. He doesn't even know how late and didn't wake up until the following day. So he went to his lady friend's house on, on a Wednesday, partied so late into the night that he slept through all of Thursday. And when he woke up Friday morning in LA, he thought it was still Thursday. So he popped another acid like, well, I don't have to pitch till tomorrow thinking it's Thursday pops some acid around noon <laughs> two hours after taking that acid at noon his friend's like it's friday <laughs> you have to go pitch <laughs> which i thought was funny <laughs> and his ass his, his lady friend said your ass better be on the mound in san diego before the game started so doc got his ass moving the best way he could he hopped on the next flight to san diego and was able to make it to the stadium about 90 minutes before the game commenced but the thing about acid is that it doesn't wear off like alcohol. You know, the flight didn't sober him up a little bit. That's not how LSD works. It doesn't work like any other drug for that matter. Here's a little side note um, from, I think it was like AmericanAddictions.com. It's in the blog. LSD is no joke. A lysergic acid diethylamide, LSD as it's known, or acid, is a popular psychedelic drug that alters the state of your mind in significant ways. This potent drug binds to specific brain cell rep receptors and alters how the brain responds to serotonin, a neurotransmitter that regulates emotions, moods, and, and perceptions. By binding to these receptors, LSD modifies neural pathways, producing visual hallucinations and altering the perception of things such as sound and time. Pretty important stuff when you're, when you're, when you're trying to play a, a professional baseball game, no less the, the pitcher. <laughs> The mind-altering effects experienced during an acid trip, as they've become to know, could last for up to 12 hours. <laughs> he took it at noon. <laughs> He's going to be feeling it till the next morning. I'm personally impressed that Doc Ellis was able to scrape himself off the couch that day and put on his uniform and fly to L.A., let alone pitch a whole game, no hitter. <laughs> there have been no hitters where there's multiple pitchers. He pitched the whole game, <laughs> no hits. Doc had recounted the day himself multiple times. He said the ball would look gigantic as if it were speeding right towards him as this huge boulder hurtling, enough to scare him into flinching for one play and then only to have it fall short of the mound 
meaning it wasn't coming right for him at all. It was just barely going. <laughs> Someone had just tossed it to him. And the next play, the ball would appear as small as a fragile as, and fragile as a robin's egg inside his mitt. So <laughs> he's having a really hard time with like space, time, <laughs> all his perceptions. He expressed a lack of vision to the point where he could only tell which side of the plate the batter was on. He, he couldn't really tell who it was or how tall they were. He could just tell if they were lefty or righty. And he could barely read the signals that his catcher was giving him during each play. You have the catcher. He's behind the batter, and he's trying to signal, you know, I want you to throw it this way. You should probably throw it this way. He could barely read those those signals. In 1984, Doc recounted his, um, his uh, no-no under LSD, and there's he recounted it multiple times. I have some quotes here. I started having a crazy idea in the fourth inning that Richard Nixon was the home plate umpire. And once I thought I was pitching a baseball to Jimi Hendrix, who to me was holding a guitar and swinging it over the plate. I remember uh, diving out of the way of a ball I thought was a line drive. I jumped, but the ball wasn't hit hard and never reached me. <laughs> I can only remember bits and pieces of the game. Ellis recalled in 1984, I was psyched. I had a feeling of euphoria. I was zeroed in on the catcher's glove but I didn't hit the glove too much. I remember hitting a couple of batters. <laughs> he hit a couple dudes and the bases were loaded two or three times. The ball was small. Sometimes the ball was large. Sometimes, sometimes I saw the catcher. Sometimes I didn't. Sometimes I tried to stare the hitter down and throw. While I was looking at him. I chewed my gum until it turned to powder. <laughs> they say I had about three to four fielding chances. I remember di diving out of the way of a ball that I thought was a line drive. He jumped all the way off the mound, and then it just rolled up to him. <laughs> now, it should be mentioned that Ellis is the one and only source for this story, and he didn't share it publicly until 14 years after the event. So naturally, some have doubted that it was that he was under the influence when he pitched this no-no, as it came to be called. Today, you can only watch bits and pieces of the game despite the game being televised. The MLB has not released the video of the game in its entirety. Not to mention that although it was a no-hitter, it wasn't a pretty performance. The Guardian writes, in some ways, Ellis's performance for the Pirates against San Diego Padres on Friday, uh, 12th of June, 1970, uh, was not exactly a pitching masterclass. Ellis recorded more walks, eight, then strikeouts, six, <laughs> hit another batsman, <laughs> allowed three stolen bases, and was bailed out by highlight reel plays in the field by second baseman Bill Mezeroski and center fielder Matty Alou. It was his teammate Danny Cash, the rookie who was a second baseman after the first inning, who kept telling Doc, you got a no-no going, referring to the no-hitter. Doc said he wanted him to shut the hell up. It was bad luck to put attention on a no-hitter, especially just after the first inning. And not to mention he was on LSD tripping balls, and he's like, stop whispering things in my ears, dude. <laughs> so all his teammates are like, dude, you're doing really good. Do you know that? <laughs> And on the blog, right after I, I'm saying all this about his LSD, I scroll down. He's wearing huge, I mean, huge curlers in his hair. <laughs> he's got his uniform on, and he just looks completely spaced out. <laughs> I found, I don't know if this is from an actual comic book, but I found a comic book image that someone drew of Doc Ellis, and there's all these trippy images. He says, we're going to go down, we're going to do the do. <laughs> a lot of tri trippy images of Doc Ellis pitching. Now, um, yeah, that's the story of the no-no. But what's even, I don't know, more commendable, more heartwarming, was his career and his life outside of this one day where he pitched a no-hitter, 
tripping balls. During his 12 years in the major leagues, Doc lived the expression black is beautiful. He wore curlers on the field. He stepped out of his Cadillac wearing the widest bell bottoms and the broadest collars. When he put on his uniform, he was one of the most intimidating pitchers of the 1970s. Doc was often at the forefront of controversy and has been called the Muhammad Ali of baseball. He was an outspoken leader of a new wave of civil rights and sports. When black athletes were no longer content to accept second-class treatment or keep their mouths shut about indignities for this, the press labeled him a militant. When he wasn't playing ball, Doc was making waves in the names of equal rights, and this was back in the 70s when equality was a lot more sparse than they are today. When he wasn't playing ball, Doc was making... Oh, I just... <laughs> I copied and pasted that, that paragraph twice. So yeah, he... um. Fight, fight for equality there. Right back in the 70s, a little bit more uh, difficult. I have made, I have mad respect for the man for this, that he, you know, he stuck up for what he believed in. And it's well known that baseball, among many other facets of life, were institutionally racist. I mean, they made movies about it. Uh, Doc wasn't having none of that shit. He stuck up for it. On another note of standing up for what he believed in, Doc didn't hide the fact that he did drugs at a time when Nixon, old tricky dick, with his super anti-drug policies, some of which are still being felt today and are widely regarded as unreasonable, you know, namely like how marijuana is still illegal in most states, yet people are also serving decades in prison for it. Stupid. Um, Doc was dropping acid and going to games, and everyone knew it. <laughs> Regardless of how you feel about substance abuse, you must recognize the gumption of the man to do that. You know, to say, hey, this is what I like. I'm not going to hide it from people. I, I like people like that. I like people that, that don't really, you know, hide who they are. Um, granted, he didn't tell this story specifically about the no-no until 14 years later, but all his teammates and the people who knew him knew what he was into. It should be noted that sometime after he left baseball, Doc got sober. Not only did he change his life around, but he launched a career around helping other others kick their addictions as well. He was a drug addiction counselor, and he specialized in helping prison inmates get sober, which I find really cool. Um, you know, I mean, how honorable was that, yet still rebellious? Kind of reminds me of like Johnny Cash in a concert. After Doc retired from baseball, he was as outspoken about his addictions to alcohol and amphetamines, aka greenies, as he had been about racial prejudice during his career. He spent his last decades using that blunt honesty as a counselor helping other addicts. It was a drive to do good that was a constant in his life after retirement when he got sober and worked with the Pennsylvania Department of Corrections to rehabilitate black prisoners, helped start the Black Athletes Foundation for Sickle Cell Research, and served as the coordinator of an anti-drug program in Los Angeles. As he explained to enrollees, he self-medicated to cope with the fear of both losing and winning. He came to uh, bemoan the feat he's most associated with simply because it, quote, robbed him of his greatest professional memory so and that that was a quote straight from the guardian um i'm not the guy who wrote bemoan the feet of his most associated simply but i i like that um he later got sober and realized one of his most legendary story the story of the no-no him being on lsd he's not really proud of it i mean now it, it for you know for the rest of his life it was a stain on his on his own reputation in his own mind that you know he had a hard time remembering it and all that since, the, since, then, since then, the internet has fueled the legend of Doc Ellis. This will be the first time his legend and the story of his man behind it will be told in a feature film. There is a documentary called uh, The No-No Documentary. I got some of the, um, so it was one of the sources for this. I didn't watch the whole documentary, but I went to the website 
and I, I took some of the paragraphs on there, put them on here and read about them. Also, um, that is on the blog as well. All, all things, all sources I credit, I put on the blog. It was in 2008 that Doc Ellis died of cirrhosis of the liver. His legendary baseball career and commendable lifestyle will never be forgotten. So, I thought you'd like that. <laughs> I thought it was a pretty cool, I forget where I was. I think I was at a brewery, I was a little drunk, and some guy was like, you do a podcast, you should do one on Doc Ellis, it's pretty cool. So I did, and it's, I, I love the story. I love the guy, I, I love the story of the guy's life and how he how he led it. Thanks for listening, Huda Thunkers. I hope you enjoyed. Uh, tune in next week. Thank you.